0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So at this time, we're going to open up to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, we're going to continue our worship by studying the Word of God. So we want to open up with the word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who indwells us, who teaches us, who gives us understanding. We thank you, Father, that you give us an opportunity to spend this time with you and that you help us to grow as we feast upon your Word and as your Holy Spirit does a great work in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for equipping us for what you'll have us to do. And we pray, Father, that your word will go forth all around this campus where your word is being taught and that your word will not return void, but accomplish whatever purpose you have for that word. And so for tonight, Father, we do pray for a timely word, a, a word that we need to hear at this particular time, Lord. You know what each and every person is going through, you know what we need to be reminded of. And so we pray for that timely word, and I pray for the gift of teaching, and that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So again, you want to have your Bibles turn to Mark chapter 15. And just by way of review, so far we've covered Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Uh, we've covered Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've also covered two phases of Jesus' trial before the Jewish authorities. And so, phase number one before the Jewish authority is his preliminary trial before Annas. And then the second phase in the religious trial or the trial before the Jewish authorities was when he stood before Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin, which was around midnight or a little after midnight. And then finally, um, so far we've covered Peter, who denied the Lord three times, and then he began to weep because of what he did. And based on uh, Peter's denial of the Lord and his weeping because of that, Uh, We used that as a springboard last week to talk about overcoming disappointment with ourselves. And so today, um, as we get into the Word of God, we're going to cover Mark chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 20, and we're going to see the remaining phases of Jesus's trial that will lead to him um, being condemned to death, which we know came by way of crucifixion, which meant that you know, he died on the cross. And so we want to look at Mark 15, verse one, where it says immediately in the morning, which will be Friday morning, it says that the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And this whole council will be the Sanhedrin, which is the highest Jewish court. And it says they bound Jesus, led him away and delivered him To Pilate. Now, in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10, we don't have to turn there, but just want to fill in some blanks here. Uh, But there in in Matthew 27, 3 through 10, it tells us that when Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, it it says that he was remorseful and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the religious leaders. However, they were unsympathetic uh, to the remorse of Judas. And so Judas would go on to throw down the, the, the 30 pieces of silver in the temple, and it says that he went and he hanged himself. Now back in, in Mark 15, verse 2, it says, Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said to him, It is as you say. Now after Pilate talked to Jesus, he went out to the Jews and he told them that he found no fault in Jesus. He, he found, found nothing wrong in him. And that could be found in, in John chapter 18, uh, in the second half of verse 38. But one verse that I want to share with you and, and read from here is Luke 23, verse 2. Luke 23, verse 2. It says, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting or misleading the nation, And forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now what we see here in verse 1, especially in the first half of verse 1, is the stage or the third stage of the Jewish trial. We see the third stage of the Jewish trial. And if you want a more detailed account of what we see there in the first half of verse 1, You can read uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. And so, again, what we're looking at is that third session of the religious uh, trial. And this is the early morning session. So this would be Friday morning. Now, Jesus had previously stood before Annas and Caiaphas around midnight or a little later or after midnight. But here, of course, in this morning session, the midnight decision to condemn condemn Jesus was now ratified. It was now made official in this morning session, you know, because that night trial, by the way, if you didn't know, and maybe some of you do, that night trial where it was involving a capital offense where somebody could be put to death. That was not legal. It was illegal for them to hold that night trial to condemn him. And so they had to wait until the morning to do it officially or to ratify that midnight decision before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And so it is here before these Jewish religious uh, leaders early Friday morning that they officially charged Jesus with blasphemy' he was officially charged with blasphemy now here i 'm um, in the second half of verse one and then in verse two, we also see that they sent Jesus to Pontius Pilate now this this meeting or this session or trial before Uh, Pontius Pilate would be the first stage um, of the trial before the uh, uh, Roman authorities. So this would be the first part of the political trial that Jesus would face, this meeting he would have with Pontius Pilate. Now, because Israel was subject to Rome, they were under Rome's authority. In other words, this Sanhedrin, this, this highest Jewish court, they could not carry out A death sentence. You see, the Roman authorities would have to give the sentence and then they would have to carry it out. And so that's why they carried him. They had to take him to Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman authority. But if you read the book of Acts, for example, in Acts chapter 7, you you saw that at times the Jews would disregard that prohibition to execute those they considered criminals. So they would disregard um, that Roman prohibition for them to execute criminals. And you see that, for example, in the stoning of Stephen. But generally speaking, they didn't have that authority. Rome took away that authority. Now, who is Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate is the sixth Roman procurator or governor of Judea and Samaria. And he took office in A.D. 26, which was during the reign of Tiberius Caesar, who was the emperor of Rome during that time. And Pontius Pilate would stay in office until A.D. 36, A.D. 36. Now, remember what I said that in this Friday morning session before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, Remember that Jesus received that religious charge of blasphemy, the night charge, the midnight charge, so to speak, was now ratified. But this religious uh, charge of blasphemy would do little to persuade Pilate that Jesus was guilty and worthy of death. And so they had to come up with the claim of sedition or treason against the Roman government. They had to say something like he he claims to be a king or that he perverted the nations or misled the nation or he uh, forbade people to pay taxes to Caesar. So they had to make it seem that he was trying to overthrow the Roman government in order to get Pilate's attention because that religious charge of blasphemy just wouldn't do when it came to this Roman leader or the Roman government. But if you want a lengthier version of the conversation with Pilate that we see him have with Jesus in verse 2 of Mark chapter 15, I would encourage you to write down and later on take a look at John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. But praise God on, on Friday during our Good Friday service. I'm sure Pastor Jim is going to go um, in, into these conversations and um, into the nitty gritty of these details. And so. Uh, But if you want to write that down, uh, feel free. John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. And again, that's a lengthier uh, version of what we see in uh, verse 2 of Mark 15. But now we're going to pick up in verse 3 of Mark 15. It says, and the chief priests accused him, that is Jesus, of many things. But Jesus answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, do you answer nothing? You see how many things they testify against you? Do you see what they're charging you with? But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. He was surprised or amazed. Now this Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he marveled at the fact that Jesus wasn't responding to the accusations. And I can imagine that Jesus's lack of response was probably different from from anybody else that he has seen, that, ha- that he has come across who's been accused of a crime. He was just different. He wasn't playing the, the blame game. He wasn't trying to wiggle his way out. He was innocent, but he wasn't saying anything. And so Pilate just marveled, just amazed and surprised. But I wonder tonight, as followers of the Christ, as followers of Jesus, Christ. I wonder if people would marvel at the way we handle things. I wonder if they would be amazed or surprised at the way we handle troubles and trials in our lives. I wonder if they will be surprised at the way that we don't respond to slander when they see that when people hate us that we continue to love them when they speak evil against us and we continue to pray for those people and to speak well of them as best as we could possibly speak of them. I wonder if people will be amazed at the way we handle those situations as well, especially as followers of Christ. Now, in Luke chapter 23, during this back and forth between Pilate, the chief priest, and the crowd, Pilate found out that Jesus was from Galilee, which was the region in northern Israel. And when Pilate found that information out. He he sent him to Herod Antipas. Because Herod Antipas at that time had governed Galilee and also the region of Perea. And Herod Antipas was in Jerusalem at that time. Now Jesus' trial before Herod, before Herod Antipas would be the second stage of of that trial before the Roman authorities. In other words, it's the second stage of Jesus standing um, before politicians. And so after he met with Herod, after he was tried before Herod Antipas, Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. And when he sent Jesus back to Pilate, here we see the third uh, and, and final phase of the trial before the Roman authorities. We see the third and final phase of the political trial, in other words. And so this will make a total of six phases in the trial of Jesus. Six phases in the trial of Jesus. And so if you're taking notes or if you want to try to remember this, I'll give you a short review. So so the first phase, remember, was before Annas. So he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They took him to Annas. A-N-N-A-S. And then that same night, somewhere close to midnight, maybe a little after that, um, Annas sent him to Caiaphas, his son-in-law, who was the official high priest. And so Jesus, that second phase of his trial, stood before the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas. And then... Early morning on Friday, he had the official trial before Caiaphas and Sanhedrin. And so there was a little daylight at this point. And then stage four, remember, he stood before Pilate the first time. And then remember, Pilate heard that he was from Galilee. Then he sent him to Herod Antipas. That's the fifth stage. Herod Antipas, fifth stage of his trial and then the sixth stage of Jesus's trial before he was condemned to crucifixion or death would be before Pilate again. And so now we're in the sixth stage, this final stage of the trial. And we pick up in Mark 15, verse 6. It says, now at the feast, that is the Passover, Pilate was accustomed or used to um, releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels or insurrectionists. And they had committed murder in the rebellion or riot. In verse 8, it says, Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him. They began to ask Pilate to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handled him, or had handed him over, because of envy. You see, this Pontius Pilate was trying to figure out a way to get out of crucifying Jesus. He didn't want that responsibility, and he probably thought it would be an easy choice for the people to make because Barabbas was a known criminal. Because he was involved in a rebellion against Roman rule. And he was wanted for murder. And he was also a robber. So Pilate may have thought, okay, this is my way to get out of it. Sending him to Herod Antipas didn't work. He just sent them right back. So now that I have this custom of releasing a prisoner, maybe this is my way out of this trial. You know, besides Barabbas is a known criminal. You know, also, Pilate saw right through these Jewish religious leaders, he saw that they were envious of Jesus. For this Jesus, he, he was getting a lot of the attention from the people. Jesus had been influential in his ministry. They took him to be a prophet. You know, just earlier, this, that past Sunday, Palm Sunday, they They screamed out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so he was popular. And these Jewish religious leaders, they did not like that one bit. Now, speaking of envy, I have a scripture here in James chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And it says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It doesn't come from God, but it's earthly. It's sensual or unspiritual. And guess what? That envy, so to speak, is demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, Guess what? Confusion and every evil thing are there. And we see that there's confusion, that there is every evil thing going on here at this trial. All because these Jewish religious leaders are envious of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. But I wonder today if that Jesus envy is still going on. And I believe it is still going on today. Because it's revealed in the fact that some people are upset that Jesus's teachings are still more respected by the church, for example. Not by everyone, but Jesus's teachings are more respected by the church and adhered to by the church than, than any other philosophies of men. So I wonder if people, matter of fact, I don't wonder, I know that people are still envious of Jesus's influence because this is a man. Now, remember, he is God. He always existed. He is eternal. But at a certain point in history, he became a man. And so we say that he's the God man, fully God, fully man. We know that he took upon a body at a certain point of, in history. And he ministered on this earth. He taught on this earth. He lived a perfect life on this earth. And we know that he was crucified and resurrected. And yeah, he died and was resurrected about 2000 years ago and still is very influential. They still cannot get rid of the name of Jesus. They still cannot get rid of his words. And so I can imagine that there is still Jesus' envy going on today. But then you have uh, Matthew 27, verse 19. As we continue with the narrative tonight, it says that while he, speaking of Pilate, was sitting on the judgment seat, His wife sent a message to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests, they stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Now, these are the religious leaders, these chief priests. And what you see them doing is influencing the crowd to reject Jesus and to receive a known criminal. You know, leaders should be a positive influence. They should be a godly influence. The scriptures tell us that the leaders face greater consequences. And so leaders, those who know more about the word of God, must make sure that that all of us are being responsible and we're leading God's way and we're pointing people to Jesus. You see what James says in, in James 3.1. It says, my brethren, speaking to believers, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. You see, the leaders, the, the teachers of the word of God ought to know better. And so there is a stricter judgment. And so those who knew to do his master's will, Jesus said, will be beaten with many stripes. And those who didn't know as much will be beaten with fewer fewer stripes. And so these leaders here who ought to have known more, who ought to have known the Old Testament, they should have known better. They should have known the day of their visitation that Jesus is the Christ and they should have been pointing people to him instead of causing people or influencing people to reject him. But in verse 12, in Mark 15, it says, Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him, whom you call the king of the Jews? And so they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. You know, and even today... People can't even tell us why Jesus or following Jesus is so bad. They just want to crucify him. They, they have this Jesus hate. They have this hate for people who are followers of the Christ, of the Messiah, Jesus. They can't even tell you why. His pilot, he didn't even know why. What evil has he done? And so I'm wondering today for anyone who still considers themselves a Jesus hater. Can you name what evil has he done? Oh, because he told us to love each other. That's, that's evil. Because he's sticking to the word of God, his word, that's evil. So some people hate Jesus and they don't even know why. They hate Jesus' followers and they don't even know why. But I would tell the Jesus haters and the people who hate Christians this, I will say this just about me. You, I, I, hopefully, you should be thankful that the Lord saved my life. Because the world would be a much worse place if I was in it before my Christ days. And so people don't even know what makes Jesus evil because he's not evil. They can't even figure out anything. Just like these religious leaders really didn't have a real reason. And Pilate just couldn't put his finger on it. What evil has he done? done. So Pilate in verse 15, wanting to gratify or satisfy the crowd, he released Barabbas to them and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be what? To be crucified. You see this Pilate, he wanted to be a crowd pleaser. Perhaps he wanted to avoid a riot because if there were a riot, he, he would have gotten in trouble with the Roman authorities over him. And so maybe that was his reason for being the crowd pleaser. But he knew what was the right thing to do. He just didn't do it. And so he had Jesus scourged. And then, of course, we'll release him to be crucified. Now, this scourge is an interesting thing. And again, you'll learn more about this during our Good Friday service. But it, it was usually a whip that was made of multiple leather cords. And so this scourge had a handle on it, which the leather cords were attached. And these were sometimes knotted and weighted with pieces of bone or metal. And now when the Romans flogged or scourged someone, this scourge would tear the flesh open. And those deep cuts and tears would lead to much loss of blood and even cause dehydration. And one source states that the pain from this punishment was so severe that prisoners often passed out during this ordeal. And then another source says, frequently the body was so lacerated or ripped apart that the intestines would gush out. You see, it was not uncommon for a prisoner to die from scourging. But like Pilate, I I wondered if, any of us have ever done something to please people. You knew what was right. You knew the right thing to do, but because you wanted to please someone, you made a certain decision. Oh, you didn't go to the Lord in prayer about it. You didn't search the word of God about that situation. You just made that decision just to please people, just to gratify people. And as we see in the lesson tonight with Pilate, this desire to gratify or satisfy or please people instead of God will cause us or lead us to make poor decisions. But then it says in Mark 15 verse 16, it says, Then the soldiers led Jesus away into the hall or into the courtyard of the governor's palace or headquarters called Praetorium. And they called together the whole garrison, which will be the 10th part of a Roman legion. So that will be 600 Roman soldiers. Now, this praetorium, according to one source, was located in Jerusalem. And it says that it was a magnificent palace which Herod the Great had built for himself and which the Roman procurators or governors seemed to have occupied whenever they came from Caesarea, to jerusalem in order to transact public business and so we see a pilot here at the praetorium and it says and they clothed him with purple and this was probably a military coat or cloak that they put on jesus and it says they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head matthew twenty-seven twenty-nine also says that they put a reed in his right hand a reed was like a long bamboo like stick and they began to salute him "Hail, king of the jews see these roman soldiers they mock jesus and we see they put this crown of thorns on his head because during the trial he was asked if he was the king of the jews so now they're going to mock him and as you see those thorns that, are, that was put on his head, it reminds us of the thorns that came about because of the curse. When Adam sinned, if you take a look at uh, Genesis 3, or at least write it down, Genesis 3, verses 17 and 18, the thorns uh, from the ground was a result of the curse because of sin. And so really what you have is the curse um, of the earth being placed upon Jesus. In Galatians 3, verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us. He bought us back from the curse of the law. Because if you broke the law, of course, um, death was the penalty. And it says, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And of course, tree, a tree is wood, and the cross was made of wood. And so he became a curse. For us. But praise God, it says he redeemed us. He bought us back from the curse of the law. And when we talk about redemption, it talks about us being bought back from the slave market, from the slave market of sin to be set free. But we continue in Mark 15, verses uh, 19 and 20. It says, Then they struck him on the head with the reed. So that same reed they put in his hand, they took it out of his hand. And hit him on the head with it. And they spit on him. And bowing the knee, they worship him. In other words, they mocked him. And apparently, according to John nineteen three, they also struck him with their hands. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, that purple, purple cloak off him. And they put his own clothes on him. And they let him out of the city or palace to crucify him. And now if you want to see more details about Pilate's decision to give in to this peer pressure, we don't have time to read it tonight. You may want to look at John chapter 19, verses 4 through 16. But Pilate here, as we take a look at this lesson, he was hoping to have Jesus scourged or flogged and then let go. He thought that that would satisfy the Jews. He thought it would satisfy the Jewish religious leaders and the crowd that he would scourge them. Thought it would be good enough that they'll say, "Okay," and, you know, he can live. We won't require death anymore. But of course, we see that this scourging and Jesus right now is a bloody mess. A bloody mess. Remember the rough night he went through. Remember the agony in the garden. So he didn't get a lot of sleep. Remember, he's been punched in the face the the night before and spit on and slapped. And now here you see what's going on. Betrayed and, you know, the disciples left him and Peter denied him or disowned him three times. And so he's going through all this emotionally and physically. But of course, what, what was tougher on Jesus was the fact that he would have to experience Being forsaken by the father while he's on the cross. Because the father, because God cannot look approvingly upon sin. And Jesus came to take the penalty of our sin upon himself. And so he's going through all this and now this scourging his flesh ripped to shreds. People mocking him even still now, even the Gentiles mocking him, these Roman soldiers. after all this, they weren't satisfied. They still wanted Jesus to be crucified. See, Matthew uh, chapter 27, verse 24 reveals that since Pilate was unable to get the crowd to see it his way. At one point, the scriptures tell us that he washed his hands in water, which meant that he symbolically was saying that he was innocent of Jesus's death. For he admitted that he had found no fault in Jesus. And what's interesting is that the gospel accounts go to great lengths to emphasize the innocence of Jesus. It emphasizes the fact that he never sinned. In fact, even Judas admits it in Matthew 27, 4. And then we see that Pilate's wife communicated to him that Jesus is just. And then Pilate himself even calls Jesus just. And he found no fault in Jesus. Then, of course, when he sent them to Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas found nothing worthy of death in Jesus. So look at 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 19, as we talk about Jesus having no fault in him. When we look at first Peter one verses 17 through 19, it says, and if you call on the father who without partiality judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. In other words, conduct yourself throughout um, this time on earth because we're, we're citizens of heaven. This is our um, temporary residence, so to speak, on this earth. So conduct yourselves during your stay here in fear, having reverence for God, taking God seriously, knowing that you were not redeemed, you were not bought with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless or useless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But we were bought with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. And here's the point I want to make. As a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were bought spiritually. We were bought with the blood of Jesus, God in the flesh, as a lamb who didn't have any fault. He was faultless, no blemishes, without spot or defect. You know, Pastor Chuck, in describing what a what this means by spot or blemish, he says this. He says, a spot is an inherited congenital defect, or it's a a defect that's present at birth. And a blemish is an acquired defect. Well, Jesus was perfect in every way. He was perfect morally, From the inside out, he was perfect in all that he did. He was perfect in all that he spoke. The perfect Lamb of God. The sinless Lamb of God. And he had to be perfect in order to be that perfect sacrifice. He had to be perfect. Now, as we think about what happened here in in tonight's scriptures, in tonight's lesson... Many people may be upset that this guilty man Barabbas got off, was set free, but the innocent Jesus wasn't set free. Some of you may be mad at this narrative here that these Jewish religious leaders lied on him pretty much. They were envious of him. They wanted him to die and they wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. And so this guilty man got off. But this Barabbas is representative of all of us. And so that's the purpose for the title of tonight's lesson where it's entitled, I am Barabbas. And each and every one of us in this room, every person on this earth can say, I am Barabbas. Because like Barabbas, mankind was guilty mankind are the guilty ones but how are we guilty because we too were rebellious we rebelled against the word of god we rebelled against the law of god and so we too are barabbas now as a result of being guilty like barabbas we deserve the death penalty The scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. That is the result of sin. And so, yes, physical death came about because of sin, but spiritual death, most importantly, came about as a result of sin. Our sin separates us from God, our Father, the Creator. And so we deserve the death penalty and Without Christ, we were on death row, just like Barabbas was, just like he was on death row. In fact, this is what it says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you also, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Prince of the power of the air. The New Living Translation says the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Speaking of Satan, that same spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, those who are not believers, who reject Christ, who are living in sin apart from Christ. It says, among whom also, among these people also, those who are walking according to the course of this world, We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath just as the others. And so we too, our Barabbas before Christ was on death row. We were children of wrath, deserving of the wrath of God. And if we were to be set free, if mankind would have an opportunity to be set free like Barabbas was, then then someone would have to pay that penalty. But it couldn't be just anyone. It just couldn't be another sinful man because we'll be in the same position. But there needed to be an innocent, perfect one who would take our place. You see, the blood of animals that were shed in the Old Testament, they were just IOUs. You see, but man is the one who lost his privilege. Man, speaking of Adam, and he was representative of the human race because of his sin. We lost relationship with God. We lost privilege to the Garden of Eden, to paradise. And so therefore, it would have to be man who would need to take that punishment and fix the issue, but All of mankind have a sin nature. So like I said earlier, we would all still be messed up. And so there needed to be a perfect man. But wait a minute, there's no perfect man who exists because the only perfect being is God. And so there is the dilemma, but God worked it out even before the foundations of the earth because it was determined before then that God would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, John three sixteen, And so there needed to be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect man, because man messed up. So now man had to redeem what was lost, a perfect man, by the way. And it could only be the God-man who would fulfill this role. And so Jesus, who was innocent, took the place of guilty me. He took the place of me, who's called Barabbas. In Colossians 2 verses 13 and 14, it says, "In you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh," in other words, you're still dominated by your flesh." It says, "He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses." And this is the part I really, really like in Colossians 2:14. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements." That was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, what is the handwriting of requirements against us? It is our record of debt, our spiritual debt that we cannot pay, and all of its obligations. We deserve hell. We deserve eternal death from God, eternal separation from him in hell. These handwriting of requirements, this record of death, it says that Jesus, he took it out the way. He nailed it to the cross and he paid what we owed by his precious blood. The precious blood of the perfect lamb of God. And so in taking care of the sin issue, God did not contradict his nature. He didn't let sin ride free, so to speak, because yes, sin was punished. Jesus took that for us the wrath of the father was poured upon him on that cross. He took that for us. He drank that cup that Jesus talked about in that garden of Gethsemane. So he didn't contradict his nature. He's still holy. Sin was still punished. But because Jesus did what he did, he was also able, he is also able to remain merciful, which is a part of his nature. And because God is merciful, forgiveness is offered to all, but it's Once again, all because of that price that was paid on Calvary's cross when Jesus paid with his blood. As the worship team takes the stage here. I just want to say in case someone doesn't get the Barabbas analogy when I say that I am Barabbas and all of mankind is Barabbas. If someone doesn't get that analogy still, you don't get the fact that we were all guilty, all guilty and deserving of death. And we don't understand the consequences. I would have you turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. And in those scriptures, it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that Barabbas, you and I, Before Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those having sex outside of marriage and idolaters, nor adulterers, those married and stepping outside of their relationship, nor homosexuals, those who are submissive in the homosexual role, nor sodomites these are those who are active in the homosexual role without getting graphic nor thieves you know what a thief is nor covetous these are greedy people nor drunkards nor revilers these are verbally abusive people nor extortioners or cheaters people who cheat others out of their stuff None of those will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not an extensive list of people who live in sin. But if you want to know how does it look to be a Barabbas, that's a good picture. That's a good picture. But for the Christians and the soon-to-be Christians, there's, there's something else in 1 Corinthians 6 that a lot of people skip over. Because it says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Some of us were fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and homosexuals and sodomites and thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners. Such were some of you. We were a bunch of Barabbases. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified. You were declared righteous. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus. We repented and put our faith in him. And by what? Or who? By the spirit of our God. Such were some of you. And I like this scripture. And many of you have this memorized. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or she is a new creation. Whole things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See what it says there? Just because you were a Barabbas, just because you were born a sinner, you were born with the sin nature, just because you live that way in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 and 10, for example, just because you live that way, it doesn't mean you have to continue to live that way. Just because we were by nature children of wrath, it doesn't mean that we have to stay that way, that we have to stay under the wrath of God. And why is that, Darrell? Why don't we have to stay under the wrath of God? Why don't we have to continue to live out that sinful lifestyle? We were born that way, right? Can we continue to live that way? Maybe that makes us happy in our flesh. But you don't have to stay that way and praise God we don't because the wages of sin the scriptures tell us is death. And the reason we don't have to live that way is by way of reminder. Remember, it's because that Jesus died in the place of Barabbas. Yes, because they didn't keep Barabbas there and release Jesus. But instead they did the switcheroo and Barabbas was released. The guilty was released and Jesus took the penalty Oh, because of that, because of Jesus dying as if he were a criminal. We get the benefit of that. And we don't have to stay in our sins. We don't have to stay separated from God. See, and maybe there's somebody tonight who have been a spiritual and maybe an emotional wreck. Maybe there's some things in your life right now and... Some things are topsy-turvy. Some things are upside down in your life emotionally, spiritually, maybe even mentally right now. You just can't seem to get things together. And maybe right now you even complaining and maybe you've been praying and you're not seeing results at this time. And maybe you're playing the blame game and blaming people from your childhood. Well, if this person didn't do that to me, I would be in a better position right now. So maybe you're in a, in a spiritual or an emotional wreck or in a slump right now. Or maybe because of the political climate right now, you are in a spiritual or an emotional slump. And if that's you tonight, I I dare you to think about that day that Jesus took Barabbas' place. Because if you think about that day that he took Barabbas' place and he went to that cross as if he were the criminal. Oh, that should cause you to have a heart of gratitude that should cause you to have a heart of praise. So yes, there is a spiritual slump and an emotional slump that you're going through, but praise God for that day that they rejected Jesus and received Barabbas. And yes, that was a bad thing, but all those things turned out for our good because mankind, we have the opportunity to repent and receive Jesus and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven to be translated from the kingdom of darkness into that kingdom of light. So praise God for that day that Jesus took Barabbas' place because in taking Barabbas' place, he took our place. Amen. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that you sent your only begotten son who died in the place of sinful man. Yes, we were all born sinners. We all need a savior and that savior is none other than Jesus Christ, the way, the truth and the life. Yes, Lord, we don't look down on Barabbas. We don't look down on those Jewish religious leaders or that crowd that, that rejected Jesus and received Barabbas. We don't look down on Pilate right now because Jesus died for their sins as well and you love them as well or rather any of them received you or not, we don't know. But there's many people today still alive, Father, and we thank you for every breath. Even those who said no to you, even those who've been putting you off for a long time, Lord, you still allow them to have yet another breath, to see yet another day. Oh, we should praise you for your mercy. And I pray for anybody In this room or online or who will be listening to the recording later on, we pray, Father, that if they're not a believer right now, we pray that you'll make it plain to them that that you are real, that the Bible is your word, that Jesus is truly the way, truth and the life, that Jesus truly came and died and was resurrected. And right now is at your right hand. I pray that you would make that plain to them, that you revealed that to them, Father, if they're not believers right now, that you would lead them to that place of repentance, that, Father, you would lift the spiritual blinders. And for those who are in a downtrodden state right now, as I mentioned towards the end of the message, Father, I pray that they will be encouraged, that you would stir up a heart of gratitude in them, Father, that they will be thankful that you took Barabbas' place, that Jesus took Barabbas' place. And in doing so, took our place. We thank you, Father, even though that was a tough thing to see, that was a bad thing to do. In rejecting Jesus and receiving Barabbas, we know that, Lord, you used even that bad thing to bring about good. And now there's many people who will be able to enter into your kingdom. And for those of us who are believers, we thank you for that. We praise you. And Lord, during this season, Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, we pray, Lord, that we would have an opportunity to share the love of Jesus, to share what Jesus did for all of us, to share that opportunity that they have to become a child of God. We praise you, my God. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that as they leave this place and never your presence, that you'll watch over them. Bless them to make it home safely. Bless the remainder of their week. Meet their every need, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, we'll be here at the front floor level, willing and ready to pray with you. So I just want to thank you once again for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. May God bless you. May God keep you. May God use you in a mighty way. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.